Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, so we're continuing our study, uh, our time during in the book of Luke, uh, Luke 22, 39 through 46 this morning. And as you're kind of getting there in your Bibles, of course, there in your bulletin, you know, most of at least my formative memories, maybe many of our formative memories are based around for, our failure. And uh, in, over time, some of our failures can become things that our family jokes about. I, I don't know if that's what, I don't know what we can say about my family in that we, I think we cope through humor, right? And I've shared several of these, things like when my brother and I sunk, my, sunk and lost my grandfather's boat, like uh, when my brother and I bashed in the windows of an antique Ford Fairlane that my grandfather had hopes of one day restoring, um, or when my, my brother and I pushed a, a dump wagon up a hill, but it, then we got to the top of the hill and we forgot about gravity, and it went careening down the other side of the hill and crashed into my dad's cattle trailer. Or when my brother was eating peanuts and missed his mouth, and he stuck them up his nose for some reason, and he couldn't breathe. Like, it was just like an emergency. It was way up there, and so uh, parents were talking about rushing him into the ER. It's this whole, like, tra traumatic thing in our household. It's all things that we joke about now. It's how we, I guess, we cope with, with hardship. But, you know, sometimes things happen uh, that are, are so delicate and, and so vulnerable, for, the, for lack of a better word, so, so sacred, that, that you just don't joke about them, right? There's some things. Uh, when I was 12 years old in the middle of the night, I woke to the panicked cry of my mom. Uh, I ran into the room to find my dad uh, on the floor unconscious. He, he had an uh, epileptic seizure, hit his head on his bedside table, and with blood running down his face, was completely unresponsive. And, and so uh, for a 12-year-old to see something like that, I, I felt like I was, I was somewhere I should not have been. Uh, seeing my dad, right, my, my rock, completely vulnerable. And we joke about a lot of things, in, in at least my family, but we've never joked about that. Like we, don't, we don't joke about that because it's too raw. It's just too delicate to make light of. Okay, well, that's where we are this morning. You know, Jesus so far has been large and in charge. He has been sovereignly in control of everything. But on the night in which he was betrayed, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see something that's, it's almost like, we're, are we supposed to see this? It's too delicate, it's too raw to ever joke about. Because we don't know what it's like to walk on water, and we don't know what it's like to perform miracles, but we do know what it's like to be in anguish over something, like to be in distress, uh, to be to just, yeah, to be pressed. You know, we know what it's like to mourn the passing of, of loved ones, to be heartbroken. Uh, you know, we live in a day, as it's been said, that the average teenager today uh, is living with the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. You know, the pressure cooker of society is just all of our levels are, are raised. And now we, we know what it's like to be full of sorrow. Uh, we know what it's like to be so distressed that we feel like we may just come apart at the seams. We can't take one more thing. And yet it's here that we see Jesus in a state that we so often find ourselves. 
Uh, actually, he's there because of us, submitting to the Father's will for our sake. As James Boyce said, this passage we're about to read cries sharply, take off your shoes, for the place you are standing is holy ground. So maybe you walked into the sanctuary this morning, not in a good place. Um, maybe your paint can is overflowing. Uh, maybe you have that, that gorilla on your back called distress, depression, maybe doubt. And, and in those times, we, we can feel so far, so far from Jesus. But in this passage, we see that when we cry out to God in those moments of desperation, it's actually the opposite. We see that in those moments, we are very close to Jesus because Jesus knows brokenness. Uh, he's been there too. And so with that, let's, let's go to that, the sacred ground that's called Gethsemane. This is God's word, Luke 22, 39 through 46. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him, and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter temptation. And Jesus withdrew from them at a stone's throw away, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to Jesus an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when Jesus rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And Jesus said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is God's word. You know, do you have a favorite place that you like to pray? Uh, maybe just a, you know, a favorite place that you like to go to try to be alone with God? Well, Jesus, Jesus had a favorite place. We see here in our passage, as was his custom, that uh, Jesus regularly would slip out uh, to the Mount of Olives, and particularly the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, to pray. You know, Gethsemane means, uh, or translated means olive press, <laughs> which is fitting because it's in Gethsemane that Jesus uh, truly felt pressed. And with the cross before him, he took his disciples with him into the garden to pray. And while he was there, he, he asked them to pray for strength uh, against temptation. Um, he knew that, that Satan was about to, uh, to sift them like wheat. Um, he knew that they were going to all be tempted to tuck tail and, and run. And, you know, other gospel accounts, uh, they give a few more details that, that after telling his, all of his disciples to pray that you would not you know, be in, led into temptation, he grabbed his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and they walked just a little further away. And he, he essentially said to them, I, I need you to be with me. I, I need you to stay up and, and pray. I, I'm so burdened. I may, I may just die right here. And Jesus, we know he wasn't prone to exaggeration. Uh, we've, we've not seen Jesus like this before. I mean, he is unraveling before their eyes. He, he's having what many scholars have called a breakdown, that our Savior had a nervous breakdown. And his disciples could visibly see it because back in Jesus' day, and we know this, that the posture of prayer, the posture of worship uh, was standing. You know, back then, talked about this a lot, back then it was the preacher who sat, right? And everybody else stood during the worship service. 
<laughs> you know, everybody wants to uh, worship like the early church. Let's go back to the early church until our personal comfort is called into question, right? Um, so we see that Jesus not only knelt, but in other accounts, Jesus fell on his face like he's on the ground. And it's Luke, the physician, that points out, verse 44, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, you read this, right? And, and first of all, the fact that he's sweating, period, is, is noteworthy because it's it's like never hot in Jerusalem, ever. Even in the summer, it's not really that hot in Jerusalem. And especially at this time of the year, it's actually usually kind of cool. And so the fact that he's sweating in the cool of spring at night, I mean, that that's a, it tells us that something very heavy is on him right now. But then... <laughs> sweating blood and that's like like a whole other level uh, by the way in luke's luke's not just telling a good story uh, this is a, a known condition in the medical world called hematidrosis in which in cases of extreme like extreme stress and fear anxiety uh, capillary blood vessels dilate and burst causing some some blood to be mixed in with with sweat dermatological research notes that this has been observed in people, some people awaiting execution, uh, that it has been seen or it was seen during the London Blitz uh, when you know people of London were underground just waiting for the next raid, fearful uh, of the German bombs. Uh, but regardless, almost every case that this has ever been uh, noted is has been cases of extreme fear, like extreme stress. And so, like, we, we've never seen Jesus like this. I mean, we, we experience fear quite often, but, but not Jesus. And, and again, in Matthew, he, he tells his friends, you know, he tells them to pray. Then he goes off with his, close, his friends, and, he, and he, he prays while they, they sleep. He comes back. He wakes them up. He says, pray, guys. He goes off a second time. He comes back. They're sleeping again. It happens again a third time. And at the third time, he sees them sleeping Matthew noted that Jesus just said, sleep on, just keep sleeping. As one pastor said, that's the only command the church has ever kept. Just sleep, sleep on. Look, but before we, we get to the why Jesus was distressed or rehearse that, even at, at this point, we already see two huge biblical principles that are really just for all of life. And the, the first is prayer, right? And by the way, what a model prayer. If you don't know what to pray for, this is a pretty good place to start. Just strength in temptation. Um, you know, the reality is, if, if we were to be honest, there's rarely a sin that we don't love. There's rarely a sin that we're not drawn to. And so Jesus tells us, hey, pray. Pray for strength in temptation. Uh, str strength not to fall into these sins that we can have a real propensity to love. And so then he says, Jesus says, pray to God as he, he prayed to God as father, the good, good father. And then Jesus laid out his need, like his supplication before the Lord, asking for help uh, before ending with, well, even so may your will be done, Lord. And that's a great prayer, right? It's, it's Lord, I need your help, <laughs> help us. But at the same time, give us grace to receive your, your will. And so if Jesus prayed when troubled, then how much more so? Is, is it a pretty good idea for us to pray when, when we're troubled? And so we see this re reality all throughout Scripture, don't we? Our ladies are studying Job. You know, Job, 
in his misery, turned to the Lord. Uh, Hannah, barren and hopeless, prayed. Uh, we, we could go on and on, Asaph and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat, uh, all turning to the Lord in times of duress. And even remember what James said in the New Testament. James asked, is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. So a life of following Jesus is a life of prayer. I know that's, of course, you would expect to hear that at church. But it really is. It's been long noted that that prayer or lack thereof is the best diagnostic of how your soul is, of how your spiritual life is. Um, so a, a, a following Jesus life is a praying uh, life. So prayer. Um, second huge principle is that, well, we need others. It's just massively we need others, not just community, but especially Christian fellowship. I don't know if y'all saw the article this past week in the New Yorker about this lady who <laughs> she tried to break the record for living alone in a cave. And she went over like 500 days in this cave unassisted. Um, and she was kind of trying to prove a point that we don't really need people. Uh, and so it was like no phone, no outside connection to the world. It was just her and, and what she could see in the light of her headlamp. Um, and she said before she went down joking that she wasn't going to be like Tom Hanks and cast away and find a volleyball and be friends with him. Okay. And she was kind of joking about that. But then as you read through the article, you find that the only thing she had was a GoPro because, you know, surprise, surprise, some documentarians wanted to make a movie of this. And so they sent her down with some GoPros. And as time went on, those GoPros became her best friends. Uh, she was like doing life with these, <laughs> with these GoPros. Uh, we need community, uh, even if we turn our technology into that community. Um, you know, things, we always forget this. The, the minute things hit the fan in our lives, are we not so tempted to turtle up? It's like when we, when we need community the most, that's when we, we don't know if we want it. But here we see Jesus, when his emotional world was falling apart, he sought his friends. Even though if it's only for them just to be near him and to pray for him. And if Jesus, the perfect son of God, needed friends, then how much more so do we need friends? You know, there, there are times in our lives where we need our brothers and sisters in Christ here, right? We need them near. It's that command in Hebrews that we rehearse a lot. It's, it's let us consider let, let us consider how the, how we can stir up one another to love and stir up one another to good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as the day draws near. You know, Jesus knows what it's like to be distraught and to need a friend. And he also knows what it's like for those friends to fail him. And so part of following Christ Big, big picture is, is doing life uh, at the pace of, of being known, right? It's, it's living with enough margin so that you can even be available to one another, one another. And, and so if we're impossible to get a hold of, if we don't have time for community, uh, we may not be asleep. We're, we're just too busy. So to live in community means sometimes or at times uh, we have to say no to what the rest of the world is calling us to do so that we can be available for this unique Christian community. So if we're going to make it, prayer and community is a vital, absolutely vital. 
I mentioned this to the staff this week, uh, that, that one of my, my mentors, uh, Ray Cortez, just preached his last sermon as senior pastor at the church he planted decades ago. It's a real emotional moment uh, for him, but uh, in, in the sermon, he was laying out kind of the vision and what they were trying to do with the church. And he said he always wanted a church where no one ever wanted to leave. And I love that. He, he said, you know, a, a church where instead of, hey, services out and people are just bolted for the door, people would stay and talk and fellowship and just keep on staying. Um, I, I, I love that. And so Westminster, we already do a pretty good job at that. But as, as we move into our next 40 years, uh, may we continue not wanting to leave, not wanting to leave. All right. Well, back to the main point. All right. Why, why is Jesus so distraught here? Uh, you know, tons of people in church history have faced horrible deaths <laughs> with far more bravery than, than Jesus is, at least on the surface, exhibiting here. Remember, we've talked about uh, Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, and and he was told that if he if he didn't speak against Christ, uh, that he would be burned at the stake. And and Polycarp famously said, "86. He's an 86 year old man, and they're going to burn him at the stake. 86 years have I served Christ, and He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and Savior?" And then he looked at them and basically said, "Look, just let's go. Let's let's get this over with." And then when they went to tie him to the stake, he said he refused to be bound. He said, I'm not going anywhere. And, and Polycarp was burned alive. And there are tons of stories like that of, of like these courageous deaths for Christ. You know, there were pastors, if you could imagine, the sentence to death for preaching the gospel. And when that would happen, like their whole congregation would show up to the execution. And, and the pastor, they even would let him preach his final sermon at the foot of the gallows. And then he would kiss his wife, his young children, wave goodbye to the congregation, walk up, and was publicly executed. And, and he wasn't sweating blood. So there's got to be something more. You know, Jesus never seemed to fear death before. You know, he remember when he was in the storm with those hardened sailors, and they are freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping like a baby through that storm. Which is ironic because here the disciples are the ones sleeping through the only storm Jesus was concerned with. So Jesus wasn't afraid to die, so what is it? Well, it has to do with this cup, doesn't it? This cup that he prayed about. Father, remove this cup from me. You know, in the, the Old Testament, this cup was a metaphor for the, the wrath of, of God poured out on the unrighteous. Uh, that the, the nations would, would drink the wine of this wrath and they would stagger. And, and they would be objects of sorrow and, and cursing and scorn. In other words, God has looked at every abuse of the poor, every rape, every murder, every genocide, every, every sin. He looked at every horrible thing that has been visited on the creation he loves, and he is furious. And his, his righteous wrath burns white hot, and all, like, all of that is distilled into this imagery of, of one dreadful bitter cup. That's the dread, right? That's, that's the deep sense that we're not okay apart from Christ. But here's the thing. Lest we think that God is just some like malevolent meanie, in Isaiah, God in his grace promised that one day he would take the cup of wrath so that God's people would never have to drink it. And that's what's going on 
right here. That's, that's the cup Jesus is pleading the Father to take away from him. It's, it's, it's just too much. And so we know that you know, on the cross, Jesus took the, the goblet of fiery wrath, the, the cup of cursing in our place. And of course, I'm preaching to myself, which means if you are in Christ, it's likely that you are way too stressed. Our ultimate concern has been handled, but if you are not in Christ, then this means that you are not nearly stressed enough. Because apart from Christ, you will have to stand before God utterly alone, completely alone. And so Jesus' anguish here isn't so much about what he's going to get, but what he's losing. It's, it's separation anxiety from the, from the Father's presence. So many times, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' transfiguration, the Father has showed up and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But in this moment, for the first time, Jesus goes there and he doesn't get, you are my beloved Son. No, he gets, get out. Out into the utter darkness. You are accursed. And Jesus has lived in like eternally with the Father. Like before the Milky Way, like before, before, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity. But 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, for the first time, that presence was lost. You know, sometimes when we're, life is hard, like we cling to the promises of Psalm 23, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because God is with us. We hear Jesus is in the garden and, and he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death and he's afraid because on the cross, God was not with him. Like Jesus tasted the full rat, like hell itself, complete absence of God. And Jesus drank that cup to the dregs in our place so that if we are in him, believing on him, we never have to. So no, God isn't mean. He's he's graciously amazing. And look, we know we know it hurts when people leave us. You know, we could probably go around this room and spend all all day just talking about how fathers and mothers, spouses, friends left us when we we needed them most. And and that's where Gethsemane pops. What's well, Mister? When it starts blowing our minds. That Jesus didn't just ding dong ditch us right there in Gethsemane, but in the height of panic, you know, we can do some crazy things in the midst of panic attacks, right? In the height of panic and breakdown, even in the face of God's wrath, he stayed for you. Like, like weak, needy, messed up you and, and, and me. Um, he, he stayed and he took the curse we deserve so that we could in turn get the blessing we totally do not deserve. And when we get that, we see why the gospel, and, and like I'm not talking like Presbyterian amen good news the gospel is. I'm talking like get your dancing shoes on and let's go good news. That is the gospel. Jesus submitted to the Father's will and he drank the cup, which means if you are in Christ, God doesn't just forgive you, but he likes you. And in fact, he looks on you and, and smiles. And so that's what led God's people 
and to live and to worship in joy. Saying things like how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond like all, I can't even fathom it, it's beyond all measure, that he would send his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Uh, Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for what we see in the darkest, darkest moment of Jesus's life. Even there we see light. Uh, Father, uh, this morning as we, as we, or this week as we go out from here to our various um, places, school, work, family, uh, Lord, we ask, may this, may this reality of Gethsemane uh, inform what we do. Lord, may it inform that, that Jesus didn't leave us, um, but he drank the cup to the bottom so that we don't, we don't have to drink the bitter cup. Uh, but we get the sweet cup of your grace. So, Father, continue to just overwhelm us with your grace. Uh, May our cups overflow because Jesus drank the cup all the way down. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.